<laughs> you like farted like it was on the PA or something. It was so loud. When I write my autobiography, you just wait till I lose my virginity. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Mug and the Father and Son podcast that will let one rip in public and make no apologies about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can I can vouch for that. We're going in like a what was it, Marshalls? And then you're just you like farted like it was on the PA or something. It was so loud. And there's just other people shopping. Yep. They have no idea who did it though. Going to Marshalls with Yeah, the guy whose son is running away and you're turning red with laughter. It definitely wasn't one of them. People are going to think the younger one did it. People are never going <laughs> to think that the older guy did it. I mean... They thought you did it. The older it. you are, the fucking less control you have over the release, <laughs> so maybe not. That's that's a common fact. That's a common fact. Well, I'm Vince. I'm Jack. And we are a father and son duo who love watching movies, chatting about the movies, and more importantly, spending father-son quality time together. It sounded a little shaky there. It's <laughs> well, like you're lying or something. Well, maybe I'm just not so sure today. <laughs> wow. This is uh, episode 32. Just keep on Blue? pumping them out. What? Blue 32? <laughs> Green 37! Yeah, growing up, whenever my mom would drop something or have to bend over for any reason at all, Vince would always be able to uh, go behind her and put his hands down like he's waiting for the snap. Yep. Start looking around and making the calls. Green! Green 57! And she'd get up real fast and say she's going to kill him and stuff. But Blue 32 is usually what I started with. Blue 32! Yeah. And I really didn't get much further than that before she was up and uh, turned around and angry with Pissed. me. Yeah. A good oh, memory. Yeah. So that's funny. Oh, yeah. I tell you, I looked for opportunities like that. If I even thought I heard something fall on the ground, I'm running in there to, to get under center. <laughs> wait for the snap. Yeah, that's funny. It doesn't work for people in public that you don't know. Just FYI. Okay, yeah. Don't, don't do that. All right, you want to get out of here? Uh, sure. Where are we going? Uh, I thought we might uh, step out into the lobby. Oh. Wow, okay. All right, everybody. It's lobby time with Vince and Jack. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Movie Mug and Lobby. This is a place where we talk about things that aren't necessarily related to the movie we're going to be watching, but we still think they're important enough to warrant some airtime. Ah, that's a mouthful. It is. I'm glad I don't say it. Yeah, I don't think you could. So the thing that I'd like to talk about in Lobby Time kind of does have an indirect link to the movie we're going to be watching today. Okay. Cameron Crowe, which is the person who wrote Fast Times at Richmond High. Mm-hmm. He also wrote the movie that we're going to be watching today. Okay. Did you know that Cameron Crowe, at 22 years old, went undercover to a high school, spent a year in high school, and that's where he came up with the idea for Fast Times? I did not. I, that sounds pretty cool. So Fast Times is a semi-truthful movie. Well, based off of how high school really was. Yeah, but he, like, he, he wrote it based on the people that he was around, anywhere from the stoner surfer to the, the nerdy Demone. guys. Yeah. So it's, it's a semi-true story. <laughs> So I wanted to talk about one more thing in the lobby, and that's soundtracks. You and I feel pretty confident that we could do soundtracks for movies. Yes. Correct? Yes. Because I feel like a lot of times, while this is being pulled out of my ass completely, but it would make sense to me that a lot of 
people would probably have it, like have the movie written and everything, and then find the songs for the parts. But we would we just listen to songs and make the movie off of it. I don't know how they really do it. My thoughts are probably good directors when they're writing a scene or when they have a scene that they're reading, they probably have a song in their head that they're playing. Others probably bring in specialists. What you're talking about is you and I, we like to play a game where, we'll, where we will hear a song on the radio. Not on the radio. Radios, all the songs okay. on the radio are terrible. So we'll hear a song on Spotify <laughs> and um, yeah. you'll be like, oh, this, is, this would be a great song for this going on in a movie. Mm-hmm. And you're really good at it. There's a song in particular that I'm thinking of. Let me pull up my Spotify playlist. No, exactly which one you're thinking called, of, too. I, I can't play it because it's there's copyright issues. So this is by Priscilla On, and it's French, so I'm just going to say it in my American accent. Des Giunes Files et des Fleurs. And I can't even see what the rest of it is. Oh, I started playing it. Fleurs. It's a song that goes like, ba 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 and it just over and yes. over. Pause it and uh, listen to it now. Yeah. Priscilla on A-H-N, and it's Des Junes Filles et Des Fleurs. So, or if I say it in French, Okay, that was stupid. So what Jack does is when he hears songs, it like immediately pops in his head what's going on. And it's usually something that's dark. I like, and, yeah. And it's the same thing in this. I sometimes, I'll be driving and a song will come on and I'm like, oh, man, this is like a really chill song and stuff like that. I, that's what I like. I like like a chill song where you think there's nice things going on and then it turns dark as well. Like you just listen <laughs> to this great song and then the car's upside down and just you can see the tire spinning. And it's not just like, a oh, this happens, this happens. I think of camera angles. I've talked about this one movie scene to this song with Vince so many times. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on. Go ahead and start playing that song in the background, and now listen to Jack explain what's going on while you listen to Des Junis, blah, 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 blah. I got to wait for there's the little drum part in the beginning. (laughs) So there's just a, it's a hitman, and he's walking in the house, and he's like putting on his silencer and stuff, and a hard attached camera is on his right hand with the pistol or on the pistol. So as he's walking around swinging his arms at his sides, it's moving along with the gun like a pendulum. And it doesn't show a lot of gore or anything, and it never shows his face. He walks in the bedrooms, and it shows the gun raise up, and you might see the person's face for half a second, which, in my head, this is going to sound fucked up, but the first one was always a little girl. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's dark. He's just in a suburban house killing the entire family to this music. You don't see them get shot. You might see the tear on their face. Then it pans up to the wall above the headboard and the the blood splatter. And then you see the smoke from the barrel and then he goes to the next room or whatever. The dad might get up and he has a garrote in his hands or something. I just added that out of nowhere. Yeah, we, we kind of talked one time about him walking in. And just folks, we're worried about Jack as well. Just uh, <laughs> no need to email me about that. We're uh, He's on our radar. But we kind of talked about, you know, just somebody going in and shooting up the house and kind of slow motion. And you're seeing like feathers coming out of pillows and Professionalism. stuff like that. Professionalism. No sloppy crime. But but that's what we do. We listen to songs and we're like, oh, dude, what's happening in this song? And some songs, nothing. They're, yeah. They just don't belong in a movie. But other ones, we just go and go and go and go and just talk about it. And we just add on to it. And I really, really think that if you hired either of us, well, no, no, we're a package deal. You hire us. <laughs> I guarantee we will make your movie better. 
Yes. Hands down. Yes. All right. Got anything else for the lobby? Nope. All right. Well, let's head on back to the podcast studio slash viewing room, and it's my turn. So I get to talk about today's movie. All right, Jack. I can't tell you how happy I am when it's my turn. It bothers the shit out of me (laughs) when I don't get to go. And I have a list of so many movies. Like, I want to do this every day, but I don't want to record and do the editing it takes. Yeah. Because, like, I had to wait three weeks because we had Gary, then we had you, and now it's finally my turn. And so it bothers me when I have to wait that long. Just, you know, just putting that out there. All right. So let me tell you about today's movie. Again, that I said that it was written by Cameron Crowe, mm-hmm. who also wrote Fast Times. So it's an old movie. It was also directed by Cameron Crowe. Okay. It is a semi-autobiographical story of Cameron Crowe when he was a youngster. Okay. Uh, so this movie came out in, well, nothing else good came out in this year, the year 2000, mm. <laughs> the year you were born. So wait, so you say autobiographical? Mm-hmm. Does that mean it's sort of nonfiction, or is this like based off of true events from his life? It's based on still fictional. It's based on his life. I just don't want it to be some boring documentary. It's not a boring documentary. So it's rated R. It got a eighty-nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, seven point nine on IMDb, which is a seventy-nine. Ninety-one percent of Google users like this. So let's see what the Mormon mothers have to say. So, violence and gore, you're going to like this. Some pushing and shoving, maybe, but nothing much, if anything. <laughs> Why did they even put the gore part on there? Um, as far as sex and nudity, several girls explain to a boy that they are not groupies because they do not have intercourse. Just blowjobs. Wow, that's lame. <laughs> Today's movie is called Almost Famous. Never heard of it. I will tell you that this did win an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. What is Academy? So the Academy Awards, they're like the the big award show. I want to thank the Academy. It's not like... Is that the, what it's about? Yeah. Why can't they just have one award thing? Like there's Emmys, Grammys, Academies. Tonys, MTV Music Awards. Just have one, like one for each thing. Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards. Here's I, the movie awards. Here's the TV show awards. How about the music because awards? Because Hollywood likes patting themselves on the back, and so they need multiple times to do so. Yeah. Just for the record, I watch zero award shows. I don't think I've seen any of them except for the Nickelodeon ones, if there was like a good host that year. I mean, as a movie, well, I say movie with air quotes. Um, podcast, we should probably watch the Academy Awards and stuff like that, so we would probably have things to talk about on here. They're just going to give Joe Rogan the podcasting award every year. I don't think... I wonder if there is podcasting awards. I mean, we haven't podcasting grows and grows and grows, I mean, there could be one. Well, I haven't got any invites yet, so yeah, my that's... thoughts are there isn't one yet. Yep. So we might want to go ahead and get sized for some tuxedos, though. <laughs> some of the Dumb and Dumber tuxedos. Yeah. Yeah, I'll wear the blue one. (laughs) That's fine. I'll wear orange. (laughs) All right. Well, let's take a movie mug and pause. (laughs) All right. And we are back after watching 2000's Almost Famous. I'll go ahead and give it the 50 Cent Tour, and then we can kind of talk about uh, how you felt about it. Okay. Because I'm not really sure. Okay. This is the story of a young man. He's 15 years old, and he's evidently a really good writer and totally into rock and roll. And he starts writing for Cream Magazine, 
And then Rolling Stone sees what he wrote for Cream and calls him. They don't know he's a 15-year-old kid, and they send him to basically go on the road with this band called Stillwater and write a big piece. Mm-hmm. And he does. Yeah, and he some, gets on the cover. Yeah, so his piece makes it to the cover of Rolling Stone. And I know to your generation, that's not a big deal. No, that sounds pretty badass to me still. Rolling Stone was the premier rock and roll magazine in the 70s and the 80s. And it was a really big deal if you got on the cover of Rolling Stone. Really big deal. Oh, yeah, because no one had screens but their TVs and stuff. You just read magazines. Magazines were huge back then. I I liked BMX magazines. (laughs) I liked skateboarding magazines. I got Rolling Stone. I got Fangoria, which was a horror magazine. (laughs) I loved magazines. Playboy, Penthouse, Hustler. I never got those, but... um, (laughs) You found some, though. Whenever I could get my hands on those. I know a story. (laughs) You and your buddies had a tree. No, it wasn't a tree. I thought you hollowed out like a tree or a log or something and had all your no, magazines. It in was it. a place we called the Hobo House. <laughs> so the Hobo House used to be, there used to be like a house there. Classy as hell. Yeah, I just beat my meat in the Hobo Look, House. I don't, I don't know what it was. There used Blair to be Witch projects. There used to be a house and it was gone. I think it burned down because the foundation was still there. But a then, Christian woman found what was inside <laughs> and just burned it. But... Back behind the foundation, there was this little house, not even a house. It was like, I don't know, like a 15 by 15 room, but it had stairs that led down into this like basement thing, which was also about the same size, but it was in the (laughs) woods. Nobody knew about it. So yeah, we hit all sorts of shit there. And our nudie magazine collection was one of the things in there. (laughs) I'd really be curious to know if it's still there or not. I would go with you. (laughs) We, We may have to... Where you grew up is not that far. No, it's not. Yeah, we we may have to do that. Last time I was in the hobo house, like I dated this girl off and on. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I took this her to the hobo house and then she took her last breath. Damn, no. <laughs> yeah. No. no. I would no, have no, no, suspected no, no. that more if you were saying you weren't that interested in going to the hobo house. <laughs> right. She's buried there. No, I wouldn't have even brought up the hobo house if I murdered somebody there. You would have been like, yeah, it's a tree. It's a tree. No, I used to date this girl. And it was one of those girls, you know, we were teenagers, we'd break up, then we'd get back together, we'd break up and get back mm-hmm. together. All my friends who lived on the street liked her as well. Oh, well, yeah. And so every time we'd break up, they would like, oh, I'm going to get with her. And one time, one of the guys dated her, and she told me that just she just she he just creeped her out. So we started going back out again. <laughs> she dumped him. He got mad at me. And so last time I was in the hobo house, there was something spray painted about me on the wall down there. Do you remember what it said, or is it uh, some content we can't say? Or I mean, it said, Vince is a fag. <laughs> that's the last time I saw anything there. Did you ever, were you still friends with him? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're still friends. He's been, he's been to our house. He's been to the house here? He's been to our house at least once, maybe twice. Okay, huh. But, but it's been a while. What were you even talking about before? I mean, the 50 Cent Tour, and then somehow we got to the Hobo House. I know, oh, we were talking about magazines. Ah, oh, yeah. He got on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah, so magazines- The band did, his article. Magazines were huge back then. So let me see what the internet has to say about it. This is by IMDB. William Miller is a 15-year-old kid hired by Rolling Stone magazine to tour with and write about Stillwater, an up-and-coming rock band. This wonderfully witty coming-of-age film follows William as he falls face-first to confront life, love, and lingo. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So we talked beforehand that this is an autobiographical movie or mm-hmm. story about Cameron Crow. Yeah. 
based on the life he supposedly. Well, at- I mean, I, I've read, I've read a little bit. I know you read some. Stillwater isn't a real band. No, they're fi- but they just use that name, and that it's kind of a compilation of all of the bands he interviewed, just like all of them in one. It said apparently. According to the internet, and you know it's true if you read it on the internet, Yep, it says Crow's first cover story was on the Allman Brothers Band. And the Allman Brothers, pretty famous back in the 70s, it says he went on the road with them for three weeks at the age of 16. So that part's true. Yeah. I just don't believe that he got the top of Rolling Stone. Because, I mean, that would, be, that would be a pretty big plot point to make up if it is made up. Well, I have no idea how much that's true. If he went on the road with the band at 16 years old, that, to me, that's pretty is the craziest thing that I would think, no, that's not true. I'd like to know more about it. Uh, yeah, that I'm, I'll look it up right now. Well, well, I mean, I want to know, and the fans deserve to know if right. this guy's a liar. All right, take five, guys. He apparently had a cover story on the Eagles in 1975. Okay, so a couple years later. So, yeah, one, yeah, the end of this movie ended in uh, 74. So a year after that, so we'll say he's sixteen, seventeen, got a cover story on the Eagles. That's that's very cool. So I think what happened is he did go on tour with the Almond Brothers at sixteen years old, but then later on he went on to work with Led Zeppelin, the Eagles. I saw that too. Yeah. And so what I think he did was he just kind of meshed it all together and wrote a story that's based on his life, but some things are maybe more loosely because I yeah. think. The the main guy, Russell, from Stillwater, from what I read, is based more on Glenn Fry from the Eagles. So that character is more like Glenn Fry. Mm. So I think he just kind of intertwined all the different stories. I read somewhere that he did lose his virginity on the road. Cool. I don't know if it was to three girls. But, <laughs> but you know, if if I was to write my autobiography, I would that, that'd be a point to where I would probably use hyperbole as well. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. I mean, you might even bump it up a couple girls or... Something like that. Like five or six. Like, Just embellish it. Mm-hmm. So you think he embellished it, or you think he actually lost his virginity to three girls? And he was 15. So it, just, it, it made me feel weird that some 18, 19-year-old girls would want to bang him. And he looked pretty good in the movie, but what 15-year-olds in movies are not real 15-year-olds. They don't look like that. I don't know how old he actually was. I know like John Travolta in Greece. He was supposed to be some high school kid, and he was like 33 years old or something yeah. like that. I don't, I don't know why they do that. Toby Maguire in Spider-Man. How old was he? I don't know. He, he's supposed to be a high schooler. And he, and the he new was... Tom Holland looks like a high schooler. Mm-hmm. Toby Maguire did not. He I, looked like he'd already been way past that phase. I heard Tom Holland's like 43, though. Okay. <laughs> totally. 14. But yeah, I'm, uh, when I write my autobiography, you just wait till I lose my virginity. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, a couple girls in the hobo house. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's how it happened, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. I was born in 1969. In the late 70s, I really started really, really, really getting into rock and roll music. Mm-hmm. Big time. By the early 80s, well, let's let's just say like 82, 83, that's when I was all about going to concerts. And this movie showed the way the concerts felt back then. I mean, rock stars were rock stars back then. I, it's, mm-hmm. it's different now. They sold out like 20,000 seat arenas like three nights in a row. And you went there and there was that buzz in the crowd and everybody was like dressed really kick ass. And just the anticipation of the lights going down. I, I just, it's, I can't even explain it. And then when the lights mm-hmm. did go down, 
the next thing you smelled was pot everywhere. Oh, yeah, that's still a thing. But then the but then somebody would come <laughs> on and be like, "Put your hands together for him." Just you would fucking go ape shit. Yeah, just and then, go nuts. And then the band would come out and just start jamming, and it was like, dude, I can't even describe how awesome that was for me. That's all I spent my money on. I went and collected cans. I mowed yards. I did whatever I could to get enough money to buy a ticket to go to a concert. I just love the feel of this movie just from my experience as a kid who grew up loving rock and roll and knew so much about it. That was my wheelhouse, man. And if I would have had an opportunity to do what, what William Miller did oh, or Cameron Crow, oh, of course, I just can't even imagine. Yeah. Rock and roll is kind of like a dying art now. You're not going to hear any rock and roll that's coming out nowadays and in the futures to come that sounds like what used to. No, not at all. It's just not the same. It is not the same at all. There's kind of two main stories in this. You got Mm -hmm. William Miller, who's on the road with Stillwater, who's trying to get an interview because Rolling Stone is expecting like 3,000 words or something like that. But then you have the groupies, which call themselves Band-Aids. Because they don't fuck. They only give blowies. (laughs) And they're touring with the band as well. And you got Kate Hudson, who's the main Band-Aid or whatever. And she's... Got this thing for Russell. Yeah, Penny Lane. She's got this thing for Russell, but also William has a thing for her. And it's just kind of this weird dynamic. She doesn't realize she's being used by Russell uh, because she loves their music so much. And loves him. And loves him. And William knows it, but he needs the interview, so he doesn't want to ruin things, and he doesn't want to break Penny's heart. She's a real mysterious, unique person. She was perfect in this. Yeah. She found out that Russell sold her to another band for 50 bucks in a case of Heineken. Yeah. She learned that from William, and it kind of broke her heart, and she ended up taking Quaaludes, and William found her like pretty much in and out of consciousness and saved her life, called the doctors and stuff, and said he loved her and kissed her because he knew she wouldn't remember it. And uh, there, that was kind of the end of that story. And so he finished his story on all the band. He got home and went to the Rolling Stone and all that. And they read his shit and they're like, oh, this is awesome. And then they called Russell or the band to make sure it was true. And Russell denied, denied, denied. And later on ends up fixing his mistake. And he calls Penny trying to fix everything with her. And so uh, Russell wants to meet with her at her house and she gives him the address of William's house. And so he ends up going to uh, William's house and just kind of talking to him and actually getting the final interview because a lot of it was William trying to interview Russell and he postponed it and postponed it and postponed it. He's so young and powerless. He doesn't want to fuck up his opportunity as well. And that was driving you crazy. It was driving me crazy. I, was, I just wanted him to interview Russell. Right. But it was a really good ending. I'm glad you liked that ending. You... You struggle with endings so often. This one was perfect. It came full circle. Good. He got the interview and him and Russell became friends and then the band kind of accepted Russell back. They never fully broke up as a band, but Russell and the whole band had agreed that the lead singer, which is Earl from My Name is Earl. Jason Lee. Is the front man. But then Russell, the ego went to his head, the attention went to his head, and he basically made himself the front man, and everyone hated him for it. But then in the end, it shows him smiling and going on another tour and being happy, and it was awesome. Yeah, there was a part where Russell is basically, fuck it, I'm out of here, I'm going to quit the band. 
and he leaves and he and William end up going to this like high school party and mm-hmm. he ends up taking acid and jumping off the roof. After saying he's a golden god. There was a pool though. He jumped in the pool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> he jumped off and broke both his legs. But he was like, I'm done with this band. Fuck this band. Then the tour bus came to pick him up. They got him back. He's sitting in the sitting in the bus. Everybody's giving him dirty looks and it's just very awkward and intense yeah. and nobody's talking. And then the song Tiny Dancer comes on by Elton John. And somebody starts singing it. They are. And somebody else starts singing it. And somebody else (laughs) starts singing it. And pretty soon everybody's singing it and smiling. And I think music can do that shit, man. I was about to say, that really shows the power of music. Absolutely. I think there's a lot to choose from, but you got any favorite parts? Man, I was thinking the plane part was pretty (laughs) funny. Yeah. Like, basically, they're going to crash and die. And so they're all saying their deepest, darkest secrets and shit. And then, boom, all of a sudden, they're flying smooth, they got out the storm, and they're all like, fuck, shouldn't have said anything. Yeah, it was very believable, some like horrible turbulence and stuff, and and the pilot's like, hey, we're going to have to land in a field. And so Russell's like, you know what, guys, regardless, whatever, I love you guys. And then it turned into, hey, I fucked your wife. And then it turned into- (laughs) Hey, I'm gay. (laughs) Yeah, the last guy is like, I'm gay. And And then the plane- If he would have waited just a couple more (laughs) seconds, because his face at the end was- like, oh, shit. That was that was a really funny part. When his mom called and Russell took the phone from William and he was just kind of being funny and at the end of it, he's, yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. His, his mom made for some really funny parts. They have a family whistle in case they get separated or whatever. Mm-hmm. She was just very overbearing but meant the best and it was a wholesome relationship. Yeah, Zoe Deschanel was in this too. Played yeah, his sister, his um, older sister. She she had a little part in this too, but she was good too. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed her her role in this as well. And I read somewhere that this movie actually brought Cameron Crowe's sister and mom back together because they had a real falling out and they hadn't oh. talked in ages. And then this movie kind of brought them back into each other's lives. That's how it was in this movie, which is cool. She left early and then came back at the very end and kind of revived the relationship. I think pretty much everyone in this movie was a very good actor. Yeah, usually in a movie you can pick out somebody and you're like, Just oh, a God, couple why, at least. Why does that person in this, man? They... Uh, Vicky Valancourt was in this movie. <laughs> Not saying she was a bad actor, but it was just funny. Bobby Boucher's Jimmy woman. Fallon. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon. He played their manager. Uh, his secret was like the best on the on the plane. Because <laughs> he said he, he was in a hit and run. He just hit the guy and kept going. Doesn't know if he's alive or dead, but yep. I mean... He's like, but I think about him every day. There's not a day that goes by where I don't see his face. And they're like, you fucker. (laughs) They just look at him like, what kind of, what? Because they're all just talking about stupid little secrets like I I fucked your wife. Just stuff like that. Not heavy, heavy, heavy heavy. shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, Fallon was in this just a tiny bit and his character was awesome. Every part he was in was good. I don't know that I can pick one favorite part of this. I can't. I just, it had a good vibe. And it had that rock and roll vibe that that I felt when I would go to those concerts. I think it just captured. It just I just enjoyed the vibe. I'd have to say this. That's just my overall favorite part. Yeah, I, I can't give a favorite part. I I've talked about a couple of the ones that would contend against each other, and that's good enough for me. Great soundtrack, though. Yeah, Great. it started off with the Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas song. And I was like, wow, you were just telling me the soundtrack is good. Well, it started out with just like some little musical thing while he was writing. And I'm, yeah. and he were like, great soundtrack. I'm like, no, 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 no. This soundtrack is banging. <laughs> and then they go straight into Christmas, you, Christmas. That song, I don't know. It should have never been created. 
but oddly, it kind of fit where it was played. A little montage of the, the town and city life and people surfing and getting ready for Christmas when it still looks like it's the summer. I never thought I would say that song fit anywhere besides at the bottom of the trash can, but I don't know. All right, bucket of chicken time. <sighs> I had thought about Frances McDormand. She didn't have a very big role, but it was she was just really funny, and it brought an extra little bit of uh, stress because she was overbearing, wanted him to call her all the time, have phone numbers for everywhere he had traveled, and it just wasn't working out like that because how do you work that out while traveling with a band on a bus? It just doesn't work. Uh, I think I'm going to have to give my bucket of chicken to the band so they can all share it and have something. Bucket of chicken for me, it's so hard. I loved Francis McDormand like you did. I loved Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. He, he wasn't in it much. I love just the overall story. But the one thing that I think if it wouldn't have been in there or if anybody else would have played it, it wouldn't have been as good. Penny Lane. Okay, that's another good I one. I think that she was perfect for this role. I don't know anybody else who could have done it as well as her. Just her facial expressions. She just, just looked kind of drugged up the whole just, time without being drugged up, too. See, I don't see that. I think she had it more together yeah, than all the other ones. She just seemed like a, a free, cool yeah. girl who she knew what did. she was doing. So she gets my bucket of chicken. All right, score time. <laughs> Do I even have to say the number? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So listen, another reason this is hard for me, I only go every other week. I want to play great movies that I love. I don't want to waste a week and play another cheesy 80s movie or something that you might hate. Although this one was kind of a risk for me. I didn't know. A risk? Not a risk, but I didn't know for sure where this would rank for you. Look, I want to throw out movies that, that I love. Just great movies that you haven't seen. It's like, I've said it before, but I just like watching my kids or being with my kids when they experience something for the first time. And so that's why I'm playing these movies that, that I think are great movies. Yeah. So I'll, I'll play some shit somewhere down the road. Like maybe when you give me like four weeks in a row to do this, but I just, I just can't right now. I just can't yeah. do it. That being said, what's your score? I mean, for this movie, it's going to be another bittersweet moment for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's very good. And I'm going to be that guy. Just give it a 100. <laughs> Another 100. Like, what is that, 18 in a row? <sighs> Damn. So do you, because for a while, when you were giving out 100s, you were starting to get pissed off at yourself. Are, are you at peace with it now that you give something a 100? Yeah, because there's no reason to be bring that inwards and be mad at myself. Because if, if I enjoy it to yeah. the extent of a 100, why would I just be like 80? Yeah, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, you were like, well, I don't want people thinking if it moves, it gets well, to 100. Yeah, I don't want people thinking that. But I mean, if I'm going to keep seeing really good movies and keep giving them 100s, then I mean, people will formulate whatever beliefs they want to about me. I mean, eventually, I'm going to run out of 100s. <laughs> and you'll be picking Saw 7. No, I will not be picking Saw 7. <laughs> I like this movie a whole lot. It I deserves an A. Oh, it, it, it's getting an okay, A from good. me. 91. See, that's good. I approve. Okay. All right. Got anything else? No. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to episode number 32. If you'd like to keep up with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MovieMuggin. We also have a website, MovieMuggin.com. You can go there and hang out and listen to our episodes. Uh, we also have a list on there of all the episodes we've done in alphabetical order. 
So if you have a favorite movie or you want to see what movie we've done that starts with the letter B, head on over there. Uh, if you want to email us, you can do so at moviemuggin at gmail.com. Guys, we love you. We appreciate you listening. And we hope you have a wonderful 2020. Yep. Later. I'm going to surround myself with people that I'd never banged. <laughs>